Greg, I can't even chew bubble gum and walk at the same time, much play, much less play multiple instruments or even be able to sing like that. Thank you, Tanya, for that beautiful special, and it just reminds us what a blessing we have in Jesus. I'm assuming that none of you ever have, but back in some days back, I would watch a little bit of wrestling, and there was always this character named Ric Flair. No, you can't be acting like you've watched it before. You've got to be a little more spiritual than that, but he would come in, and boy, he always get this big old hoop whenever he came in and just kind of signified his excitement, signified that he was in the place. And I always think some try to way to redeem that for the cause of Christ when we walk in and give our little Ric Flair whoo when we come in. But we'll save that for a different day. I, I'm glad that you are here this morning. I hope you have a Bible with you and you will find your way with me to Malachi chapter 4. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents. Some of you will look it up on electronically, but if you will find your way to Malachi chapter 4, we are going to continue studying through Malachi together, but we are definitely appreciative, Greg, and those that serve with you, men for taking up the offering, and uh, just everybody that helps um, this church have what it has on a Sunday morning. We are grateful for you. We've been walking through Malachi on Sunday mornings and we've been looking at what God has to say to his people. He is writing, um, he's, he is speaking rather to Malachi. Malachi is writing this down and Malachi is speaking to the people. And as God is, is addressing his people here in this context of Malachi, he's going to give them a little bit of a report card. He's going to give them a little bit of an evaluation. He's going to say, this is what I see in what you're doing. This is what I see that you're doing well. This is what I see that you could work on. And even this morning, as we finish up this um, final chapter in the book of Malachi, he is going to give them some reminders. So if you have that bulletin that you may have got when you came in on the back, we're just going to look at three reminders that God gives us regarding the tomorrows regarding the future that we have in for in front of us. And so God has been writing um, speaking to Malachi, speaking through Malachi to his people saying, this is who you should be. This is what you should be. This is how you should live. And this morning, about there was a fierce cold war that was taking place in the U.S. and Russia. And there was all these concerns. Think about today. There's all these concerns about Concerns about bombing of back in forth, and so Bruce Beach was living at the time there in Harnings Mills, Ontario, up in Canada, but he had this paranoia, if you will, that nuclear catastrophe was going to be a reality. So in the 1970s, he began buying surplus school buses. He could find these surplus school buses for about $500 a piece. He would take these, school, these surplus school buses. He was kind of saving them and collecting them. He ended up amassing 42 buses. He then took those 42 buses, brought in a lot of excavation equipment, but dug this giant pit out on his property, and he arranged these 42 school buses side by side and kind of stacking them in. You think about, some of you are old enough to remember the Tetris kind of scenario, and he, he stacked them all in there, he put them all in place, then he brought in concrete, he poured concrete over the top of all the school buses, 
And then because he had dug this giant pit, he then filled over the top of the concrete without a minimum 14 foot of soil. The purpose for that was he designed it to be a nuclear fallout shelter. And you may think to yourself, well, what in the world are you going to do with 42 school buses buried below, 14 foot of dirt, another however minutes of concrete, what do you do with that? Well, inside that labyrinth or inside that facility, he made a shelter. Had two commercial kitchens. Full plumbing service, had a septic tank they said would, would be the size of a motel. It had its own water well. It had generators to provide power and to provide air. They had a chapel built into the facility, had a decontamination zone. So if you came in during a, a nuclear event, they had a decontamination zone. They had a communication center that claimed that they could, through the FM band, reach all of Canada. And through the shortwave and the AM band could reach all of Canada and the United States states. He designed this shelter to be able to house 500 people for as long as six months. In 1980, it was somewhat completed. They opened it up. It was available to use from 1980 all the way through his death in May of 2021. He continually worked, continually improved, and continually tried to make this a reality. He named this whole facility Ark. Two. Now the Canadians thought he was crazy. Onlookers thought he was crazy. And yet, as Bruce was continuing to invest his life and his resources, what he was doing was, is doing everything he knew how in order to be prepared for tomorrow. I tell you this story, this real story about Bruce, because a lot of times we are spending a lot of our lives and a lot of our resources being prepared for something that may or may not come. Some of you are investing and preparing for retirement, and you have no idea if you're ever going to retire or not. Some of us are paying an auto insurance policy just in case we ever get in a vehicle wreck or in case it ever burns down. We don't know if we're ever going to use it or not, but we are investing these times and these resources in things that we do not know if will ever take place or not. Bruce Speech invested tons of money, tons of hours, tons of resources for something that as of yet has not happened. And I wonder how many times in our daily lives are we preparing for things very real possible things, but we're not preparing for the thing that is true about all of us. The thing that I'm talking about is either your death or the end of this world as we know it. So here in Malachi chapter 4, God is going to remind them about Tomorrow, And God is going to give them some exhortations. He is going to give them some counsel in what it is that they need to be ready for. He's not going to talk about chemical warfare. He's not going to talk about nuclear destruction. He is not going to talk about 401ks. He's not going to talk about the things that so often we prepare for. He is going to tell them that the greatest thing that they can be ready for and preparing for in this day that we're in right now is when they stand before God one day. All the preparation we may make, all the preppers, some family that are, call themselves preppers, all this preparation we make both in life and for the catastrophes or the events to come, God is speaking through Malachi and he says, make sure that you don't get caught unprepared for when this time
So we're going to start in Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to look at this entire chapter, and we're just going to look at these reminders that God gives us through the voice and the pen of Malachi. So starting there in verse 1, if, if you want to follow along as I read aloud, this is what God says through Malachi. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with the degree of utter destruction. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. You might slice this, slice this a little bit differently, but I want you and I to see together three reminders that God gives the people regarding tomorrow. The first reminder that we see out of verses 1 through verse 3 is that a day is coming. If you look there at the very part in verse 1, it says, the day. He is talking about a singular day. The same way when you get down to the end of part of verse 3, he says, the day. Day. He's reminding us that there is a day that is coming. It's a, in the construction of the literal language, it's not saying any day. It's not saying someday. He's talking about the day. There is a day that God knows that God has prepared. And there is a day that is coming when everything that we know will end. Everything that we know will come to a close. And the question will be, which side are you on? And if you look about this day, as Malachi presents it, he says that there is a day that is coming. For behold, verse 1, the day is coming. But notice, as you look at these verses and the construction of these verses, there is one day, but there are two different results. So the first person, the first picture represented, he says, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. He is saying there is a day that is coming when those that are guilty of sin, those that are rebellion in rebellion against God, those that decided they were going to do it their way, their ideas, their choices, live for themselves and not turn to God, not seek forgiveness, not follow after Jesus Christ, there will be judgment and destruction for the lost. Now I realize we're in a day and age that everybody's like, well, that's not very palatable. That's not very kind. That's not very uplifting. That's not very encouraging. To read the story in the Channel 9 this morning about the house. I think it was, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was down by Bridge Creek. Fire was coming, grass fire was coming. The neighbors came to the person's house and said, hey, the grass, the grass fire is getting pretty close to your house. The, the husband and the wife and the two grandchildren got out of the house, got to the neighbor's house. Less than 15 minutes, the house, the, the house was engulfed in flames and their house burned down while they were watching. This was just yesterday here in Oklahoma. Now, I suspect that husband and that wife and those two grandkids are glad and thankful that somebody came and told them the fire is coming. And brothers and sisters, it is time for us as God's people, not judgmentally, not angrily, not hypocritically, not in a 
unloving tone, but it is important for us to remind one another and to remind the people around us that this day is coming. A day is coming when God will judge both the lost and the saved. And the reality is it's not my idea, it's not my plan, it's not my concept, it's not my rules, it's not my word. But God says, when this day comes, here's what's going to happen. If you are lost, if you are guilty of your sin, out of the family of God, you'll be burned. You'll be destroyed. Judgment, destruction will come. But, but, verse 2. But for you who fear the name. See, it's all not, it's not all negative. It's not all, oh, well, it's just gloom and doom and agony. Oh my. It's not all bad news. It's all, not all negative. He just says, if you are in the world and you are of the world, then this lost state will only lead in one direction. But yet, if you are in Christ, if you've turned from your sins, Ask God forgive you of your sins. Place your hope and your faith in the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Followed after Jesus Christ. Not that you're perfect, but that you're trying to pursue the will of God with your life. If you know that the moment has come that you have placed your hope and your faith in Jesus and Christ has saved you. But for those, he says in verse 2, who fear my name. Notice it is the same day, but an entirely different result. He says, but that day the sun of righteousness will rise. There will be healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stole. It's this idea of excitement. We've talked about it in Sunday school. We talked about it. We sang about it this morning during our worship time. But this idea that we will be excited. Y'all don't act like you believe me. You're going to be excited. You're going to be excited because this day that is coming, you will know that this day is coming. You were hoping that this day was coming. You were praying that this day was coming. You were looking for this day to come. And now the day is here. And why does it make such a difference? Because all of the bondage, all the effects, all the influence of a fallen world will be put away, will be done away with. And then you and I will have that final time of redemption. We'll have that time of glorification. And we will go out singing, Hallelujah. Some of you won't have arthritis. Andy's going to have four legs. Some of you will do things, perform things, go see things that you have never thought would be possible again. Some of you will get up and you won't hurt where you used to hurt before. You won't ache where you used to ache before. All these things we put away because we will be happy because it's not a day of judgment for us, but it's a day of redemption and glorification for the saved. It's a day that you and I wake up and say, you know what? No more do we have the bondage of the sin around us. No more do we have the effects and the influences of a fallen world. No more do I have to deal with the temptations and the constant battles of living In a world, but not being of the world. No longer do I have to be enslaved to all of the things that this world says is important. I am now going to spend the rest of my days, the rest of my life, the rest of my known eternity forever with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's a happy day. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we come together and you and I walk in here. Quite often, we're just a bunch of Eeyores. Man, this week's just been tough. Oh, this week's just been difficult. Oh, you know, next week it's just going to get worse. 
Oh, it's just poor pitiful me. Oh, oh, this is just bad. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make light of your problems. I'm not trying to make light of the situation you're going through. I'm not trying to make light of the problems and the, and the struggles you're dealing with. What I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, this isn't all there is. There is something that is coming in the future. There is a day that is coming. So you might be here this morning and you might need to be warned that there is a day that is coming that you need to be ready for. Because you're not ready yet. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded that there's the days that is coming and this is not the final word. Maybe this today is the day that you come and you're excited. You're excited because this is not it. This is not going to be the way it's going to end. I am excited because I know that day is coming. Now, some people are going to say, well, when, Spence, when is that day? Somebody said Wednesday night. Oh, the dime's coming because Ron's thinking about getting a smartphone. You've had people for years and years try to set dates. You've had people for years and years try to find some secret code of the Bible and going to try to be a date setter and say, this is when the time is going to come. There's only one person that knows when that day is. And I'm not him. And you're not him. The only person that knows is God. God knows when that day is. So you may sit there and go, well, why in the world is God taking so long? Well, it's 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 through 10. Peter reminds us that God is not hasty. God is not impatient, but God is being patient because he desires that all people would come to repentance. God is giving more of you more time than he is giving others because he knows some of you are a little harder-headed. So this day is coming. We do not know when, but we do know that this day is coming. When I was doing my, my graduate education, they required that we take two semesters and two, two semesters of Hebrew and two semesters of Greek. I can't do bubble gum and walk at the same time, much less try to learn a foreign language that is not that great to learn. So you'd go in week and week out, and you would, especially in Hebrew class, you were learning anywhere from 20 to 30 vocabulary where vocabulary words a day or vocabulary words a week then you'd have to come in and you'd have to learn gender you'd have to learn number you'd have to learn tenses you'd have to learn prefixes you'd have to learn suffixes you'd have to learn how to parse and break down words you'd have to learn how to do word order you'd have all these things and so to keep you accountable every single week you'd come in and there'd be a test and on that test would be the vocabulary words. And on that test would be the, the sentences you had to uh, diagram. Or you'd be the sentences you had to translate. And so every time you come in, it was there. And it wasn't like an essay question that you can just kind of just blow your way through. It wasn't like, well, I could just reduce it down through the process of elimination. Either you knew it or you didn't know it. And you know what? They didn't give me credit if I owned the Hebrew book. I didn't get any kind of special credit if I was in the class. I didn't get any kind of credit if I knew the teacher's name or the teacher knew my name. It didn't matter if I had the terminology. The only thing that mattered was did I know the language. And brothers and sisters, there is a time that is coming when you and I will stand before God and it will not matter if we owned a Bible. It will not matter if we went to church. It will not matter if we knew the preacher or the preacher knew us. It will not matter if we had all the right terminology down. The only question that will matter is did we know Jesus? And did Jesus know us? Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Are you ready? So God says to Malachi, Tell them. A day is coming. Not just that. You now have, we now have a time to get ready. 
We now have a time to get ready. If you look there at verse 4, God continues speaking through Malachi. Continues speaking through Malachi to the people. And he said, remember, remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and the rules that are commanded in that Horeb for all Israel. Now, Horeb is just a synonymous word for Mount Sinai. Think about your Israel, your, your Jewish history. God brought them out of the bondage of Egypt under leadership of Moses. They left. Went to the Red Sea, crossed the Red Sea, came down to Mount Sinai. And at the base of Mount Sinai is where the people camped. Moses went up on Mount Sinai. It's where he got the Ten Commandments, where he got the law, where God gave the instructions to his people of how they would live, where they would live, and what was going to govern their lives. And so Mount Sinai was just this bigger place where God gave his instruction to his people. So God not only tells his people through the mouth and the pen of Malachi that a day is coming, but he tells them they have a time to get ready. So he says, remember the law of my servants. And you may say, well, why would he say that? Because God, and we need to remember this in the day when we're living in, God has given us his rules. The Supreme Court hasn't given us his rules. The current government does not give us their rules. The society does not give us rules. God has given us rules. So God says right there through Malachi, remember the law of my servant. He wants to remind them that he has given them rules. Now, where do we find those rules at today? Well, we find it here in the Bible. You've heard the, the, the acronym before. The Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. It's the idea that this Bible is better than a textbook. This Bible is better than an app. This Bible is better than a, a smartphone. This Bible is better than anybody that you refer to because this Bible gives us instructions on how God wants us to live. So he says that I not only am telling you that a day is coming, but then I'm giving you an opportunity to get ready. Not just the fact that you know that it's happening. You know it's happening and what you need to do to be ready for when it happens. So he says there in verse 4, remember the law, the law, God's instructions to his people. Then he also puts that inclusion there of my servant Moses. So not only has God given us his rules, but then God has provided for us leaders. It starts back in Moses as he brought the people out of bondage. The Egyptian bondage, it comes, continues on through the prophets. It continues on through the judges. It goes through the apostles there in the New Testament picture. Then it comes down to pastors and parents and others in the church saying, Hey, we want to teach you what God's law says. We want to teach you what God's rules are. We want to teach you what it means to be a Christian, what it means to grow as a Christian, what it means to be faithful as a Christian. We want to teach you how to follow the will of God. Because every single one of us are on one level or stage of preparation. Not a single one of us in this room are perfect. Not a single one of this room know everything that we could know or should know. Not a single one of this room know everything about the Bible. So therefore we come not only to be encouraged, we come to be challenged. We come to hear from God, to respond to God, and we also come to learn more about God. That's why we have some of the programs we have, whether it's Sunday school or whether it's Wednesday night, is we want to come and learn about God. We want to learn about God's Word. We want to learn about how to apply God's Word. We want to learn how to understand how God's work together, how the story of redemption starting in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation. We want to understand how all of these pieces fit together. We want to understand what we are going to be held accountable 
too. So God has given us his rules. He has provided for us leaders. And he, but also I want you to see God has set his people apart. So he says there at the last part of verse four that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. He gives them an indication. This is where I gave you my rules and this is who I gave my rules to. I gave them to my people. And as Gentiles, biblically speaking, grafted into the kingdom of God, we've been set apart. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're set apart. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. There's to be a distinction between us. There's to be a difference between us. There should be something that marks us, sets us apart from the world. There should be something that people look at us and they may not understand it. They may not get it. They may not grasp it at first glance, but they know there is something different about us because of the way we live, because of the way we talk, because of the way that we spend our time and our resources and what we do with our priorities. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse one through three, Paul is writing to that church and he tells them, be set apart, abstain from all appearances of evil because there's a watching world looking for a Christ-like example. And there are many people in your sphere of influence. The only thing they know about Jesus and the church is what they see from you. And I wonder what they know about Jesus and the church that they get from you. So he tells them. God tells them. I've given you my rules. I've provided for you leaders and I have set you apart for me. You have no excuse not to be Sports seems like it continues to be a bigger and bigger part of the life these days. But if you think about sports, each sport is different. Not all sports are played the same way. It wouldn't make sense to step onto a basketball court with a football and a quarterback. The same way it wouldn't make sense to go to a football game and have a goalie guarding the goalpost. There are certain sports and there are certain rules that govern those sports. And in order for a person to be successful in this discipline that they are engaged in, there are a set of rules by which they follow. And a person only finds success in that game if they follow those rules. We're in an age and an age in the society right now where people think they can make up the rules as they go. Or we think that we can make up rules between one generation or the other. Or we think that our heart defines the rules. We think that social media defines the rules. We think that popular opinion decides the rules. We think that someone else defines or decides the rules. And God wants to remind you and I that we do not set the rules. God has already set the rules. And some of us in the world today, some of us are playing a different game, going in a different direction. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to be faithful and successful in this thing called the Christian life, we need to understand we do not play by this world's rules. We do not play by our rules. We play by God's rules. When that time comes that we stand before God and God says, why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? We're not going to look around and go, well, he said, well, they did, well, I thought, or I really believed, or I felt. It's question is, is were you ready based upon God's commands? So he tells them the day is coming. He tells them that they have a time to get ready. And then this third one he tells them is they have a call to prepare. 
They have a call to prepare. Look at verse 5. He says, behold, I send you Elijah. Now there's always been confusion as far as who is this figure? Who is this type? My simple understanding is just that it is fulfilled in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. Just in the next couple of pages in Matthew chapter 3, you see where John the Baptist came. And the people are asking because they heard, they knew the prophecy of Malachi. And they're asking the question, is this Elijah or not? And what people get confused about is, well, you have John the Baptist and you have Elijah. They have different names. And in some ways, they had different types of ministries. But when you get over to, uh, what was it, Matthew chapter 11, uh, uh, Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 1, Christ confirms The words confirms that it wasn't that they were identical in names or appearances or statues, but what both of them did was fill that ministry and fill that need both in power and spirit. So what Malachi is referring to here in chapter 4, he's referring to the coming of John the Baptist. But what is he saying? He's saying, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He is telling them that I am going to send, I put this there in your notes, that proclaimers will come. Now here he specifically re- mentions the idea of this next Elijah that is going to come. What we see in our text as John the Baptist uh, back in history, but he's going to say people are going to come. And you know, I may think of it today as an evangelist or somebody that's a, a street preacher or somebody, somebody is going to come and is going to say, repent for the kingdom is hand. Repent before it's too late. Get your life right before God. Somebody is going to come proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why a lot of this stuff that you can find on television, radio today, that causes self preaching is just humanistic self motivation garbage. Because all they want to do is tell you that, hey, you're a great person and you can handle your own problems and you can solve your own dilemmas and you can do it all by yourself. And the Bible teaches us that none of us can save ourselves apart from Christ. And the Bible tells us that none of us have any merit or worth. For the kingdom of heaven apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us need to be forgiven of our sins. And all of us need a savior. That's what the Bible tells us. And we need more proclaimers in this world. Not to be mean. Not to be judgmental. Not to be condescending. Not to be unloving. But to tell people the good news and the truth about who Jesus is. So he says these proclaimers will come. He said, I will send you Elijah. Now, historically speaking, Elijah came in the, in the, the picture in the ministry of John the Baptist. But he said, these people will come. And what will these people do? He tells them. <clears throat> Verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their father. In other words, I put there in your notes, hearts will be changed. Hearts will be changed. Division is not a new thing. Animosity is not a new thing. Controversy is not a new thing. Polarization is not a new thing. I know it changes names. I know it changes faces. And I know it changes methodologies and and the way it comes about. But this idea of us being a people divided over silly, trivial, temporal things is not new. And yet he says when people come, 
And it's not that one person agrees with the other person or that the other party then submits to the first party. It's the fact when both parties come and they realize that their identity is in Christ and their submission is to Christ and their hope is in Christ and their love before Jesus then requires them to have a love for one another. What unites them in their identity in Jesus is what brings them together in unity in the kingdom of God. You see, so many times there's a vision and polarization and all this infighting that goes on, whether it's in the community or in our families or in our culture, because everybody's worried about them as their individuals instead of understanding who they are collectively in the kingdom of God. And yet he says, these hearts will be changed. People that you couldn't stand beforehand, you have a strange affection for, Not because you've changed your ideas or because that person has changed their ideas, but because now God has given you a different heart. God has given you a different perspective. God has molded and melted in you something that can only be explainable by the love and the peace of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit at work on you daily. So he says hearts will be changed. Hearts will be changed. But then notice the last part of verse 6. It's a little bit of a, a glaring a, a question mark, if you will. It says, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He is saying that, hey, you need to get your hearts right before God because there is a time that is coming. Destruction that is coming. Don't misunderstand. God's promises will be accomplished. If God said he's going to do it, God is going to do it. So he says, I'm going to send these proclaimers. These proclaimers are going to announce the truth, proclaim the truth, teach the truth, tell you the good news. That way your heart can get right before God before it is too late because my judgment and this day is coming I'm going to tell you it's coming I'm going to give you an opportunity to be ready for it's coming and I'm going to encourage you and plead with you to prepare for it's coming but ultimately when that time comes the only person to blame if you're not ready is I didn't spend that very long in the military. It really didn't fit my personality. But one of the things I detested about the military was the group punishment. You're in a platoon and you've got 40 guys in this platoon and one knucklehead does something wrong. And then it's like the superior is like, oh, well, everybody has to be punished because we're a team effort. Well, how about you eject that guy and we'll all get along a lot better. Didn't really care for it. But there was one thing that I did. That didn't bother me as much, and that was called inspection. So the commanding officer sit there and say, okay, tomorrow at 1630, we're going to have an inspection. So be back in formation and be, you know, be, be in your pretties when you get back down here. So you would, you would go back and you would, you would, you would polish your, your brass, you'd stay bright, you'd make sure your shoes were polished, you'd make sure your clothing was, was ironed and pressed, you'd make sure your medals and your ribbons were there supposed to be. And that next day, sixteen thirty, you would all be sitting there in formation. Here comes that commanding officer and he'd have some little sidekick with him. They'd be writing down all the infractions and, and things you were done wrong. And so that commanding officer would come in front of you and you would be there sitting there in attention. He'd come and he'd look you down. He'd go off in this corner and he'd make sure everything was just like it was supposed to be. Patches are sewn where patches are supposed to be. Uh, buttons were where buttons were supposed to be. No tarnishes, no scuffs, no wrinkles, no everything. He'd go on that side. Then he'd come on down this side. If something was wrong, he'd look at a sidekick and say, nom, 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 nom. he'd write you up and tell you what you need to work on. But he would sit there and look at you and he would inspect you up and down. And then when he got done, he would just do this. Go to the next guy. (laughs) He didn't mind it because it was based upon your individual merit. If you did your spot, if you did your job, if you'd taken care of all your stuff to do, you were prepared 
Unfortunately, the rest of this audio recording has been lost. We apologize for the inconvenience, but hope you'll check back in next week.